What a joy to be here today, isn't it? Isn't it good to be here, to gather together, and just to say, God, you are the Lord of hosts. You are the one who holds our lives in your hands, and that we can never escape from God, you know. You, you can try. You can try all your like to run away from God, but it's like the hound of heaven. He comes after you. You know, he never lets you go. He never, he never says, look, you're on your own. He doesn't set this thing up and say, look, guys, brothers and sisters, dear, dear, my dear creation, it's all, it's all over now. You're, you're, you're it. But no, he says, look, I, I'm part of, the, I'm on this journey with you. In fact, I'm the God of faithfulness who never leaves you, never, never leaves you, never fails, never, never forsakes us. Galatians, we've been studying, of course, this whole theme of um, the fruit of the Spirit. And, of course, we understand that fruit is something that, that happens. It's a result of something else. And uh, so as we consider the, the fruit, fruit of faithfulness, it's, it's a little bit like what I talked about the other a few weeks ago, about you know, that, joy, uh, uh, that joy was an evidence of the presence of God in our lives. So too is faithfulness. In fact, all the things we've been talking about over these last few weeks is all evidences of God at work in our lives. It's a product of God in us, of God uh, establishing his rule and his reign, his authority in our lives. It's all a product of that. Um, It was a few years ago, 45 years ago to be exact, when I started preparing this morning's message. Now, I think you'll probably say, well, he's a bit slow, isn't he, you know? Uh, (laughs) But back then, of course, I didn't have a clue what I was talking about. 45 years on, and after this morning's message, you may say nothing has changed. Uh, Or you may also suggest that perhaps there's a bit more work for me to do. But I'm I'm pleased to say that, that God sees me like a little bit of a painting. You know, where it started off with a blank canvas and uh, there's a bit of a sketch was done initially, you know, and then thought, oh, we, we, we need to get a bit of colour on this, on this outline. And so burnt orange was the colour that God chose and put a bit of burnt orange on the, on the end, a few other colours. And over the years, this picture has been developing, this, this you know, this, this picture of who God says I am. And indeed, this picture of who God says you are is a developing process, isn't it? It didn't happen overnight. It kind of happened over a period of time. So 45 years ago, I was a fairly young fellow back in those days. I had a, a full head of hair. Um, I might like to think that I was quite an uh, athletic sort of type. Uh, you might have other opinions on that. But um, nevertheless, I had a real desire to sort of find out what God was wanting to do in my life. Around about that time, there was a lot of talk about the fact that God had two plans for your life. Two plans. One was his perfect will. And as a young person, we all aspired to God's perfect will. We all wanted to do the right thing. We wanted to uh, uh, make the right choices in life. We wanted to uh, you know, work in the right job. We wanted to find the right partner. As one person quipped, they, they said uh, um, that, uh, uh, that uh, 
they didn't know, you know, they didn't know what happiness was, was what, sorry, they didn't know what happiness was until they got married. By then it was too late. And, you know, but a lot of us, a lot of us are, are wanting, we're wanting to please, we're wanting to do the right thing, we're wanting to find God's perfect will, perfect plan for our lives. And so there's this whole aspect of God's perfect will and how we had to sort of put a lot of effort into it and, you know, focus on that. But then if you missed God's perfect will, it was all right because you could settle for his second best, his permissive will. You know, you missed the best, but you always had the, the second best. Well, I grew up in this sort of, this sort of thing, and I thought, talk about a life in the pit. Talk about the devil's rubbish that God would have anything else but his very best for his people at all times. We're talking about a God of faithfulness, a God who never changes, a God who does not depart, a God that doesn't have plan B. He's only got his perfect best for our lives. And today, if you've lived under this assumption or this, this idea that maybe you're not good enough to get God's best, but you'll just settle for whatever comes along. Today, we want to nail it. Today, we want to put a couple of bullets in it. We want to put it in the grave. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, in this body, I live by faith or by the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So whatever you're walking through today, whatever you've come across in the life's journey, can I just encourage you that God knows what's best for you. God knows you might be walking through some deep, dark, terrible difficulty in water, But God knows what's best for you. And he says that together with you and him, his plans, his perfect plan, will be worked out in your life. You don't have to settle for second best. You don't even have to strive for for God's perfect plan, for his will, because he says that that's his desire for us. That's what he wants to do in our lives is perfect us, perfect his will at work in our lives. So 45 years ago, as a young fella, I'm sitting in this car, and I've, I've told the story before about Hayden Hutton. Hayden was a, 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 he was a boozy bandsman in Wellington. He used to play for the municipal band. I suppose he was a bit like Toby. He played trumpet uh, in the band. Uh, but unlike Toby, he, he squandered all his money and all his uh, uh, time and his life on alcohol. And when I caught up with him in 1970, uh, he'd been a Christian now. He'd come to faith on one Sunday afternoon in Pigeon Park. And there'd been an open-air gospel presentation going on. And he'd, the night before, he'd been doing what he normally does on a Saturday night, playing music and then having some booze. And the next morning, he's, or the next day in the afternoon, he stumbles across this open-air preaching. And the open-air preacher invites the, the people gathered there to make a stand for Christ. And Hayden walked forward. 
And uh, that day started or continued perhaps the journey of discovering what faith was all about. When I caught up with him in the 1970s, uh, early 1970s, he was, uh, he still looked like the boozy bandsman. He, his features showed the wear and tear of the years of abuse. Now I know that Keith and the team have been down in Manor's Mall or Vivian Street on Friday night and seeing these same sort of people, these ones who have given themselves over to things, these ones who have no, no other life, do not know the joy and the life and the love and the hope that we experience here this morning. Uh, they would wish for it if they knew it, but they don't know it. And so the guys have been down there serving and loving and listening and making themselves available. And so Hayden was one of these people. And uh, uh, he went forward, he professed Christ as Savior, and he claimed that scripture that says, if any man be in Christ, he becomes a brand new person inside. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. He claimed that scripture over his life. But he still showed the signs of those years of abuse. Tall and gaunt with sunken eyes, pallid skin, the clothes hung on him like a, a sack. But when he spoke, there was something of the life of God in him, something of the fruit of the Spirit. He didn't look impressive, but what he carried was very impressive. And he shared with me on that particular day, as we're coming back from the Wairapa, it would be in about 1971, he shared with me this, that day, he said, God, all God is looking for, Pete, is faithfulness. Hence the beginning of my journey to this message today on the fruit of the Spirit, faithfulness. A quote I came across recently was, faithfulness is love hanging on. It is love saying, I will never give up. There may be misunderstandings, there may be disappointments, there may be discouragement, but I will not quit. Hanging on. Don't know what that says to you. What does that conjure up in your mind this morning? Hanging on. Well, to me, it kind of conjures up the idea that I'm hanging on to something and I'm hoping that I won't let go. I'm hoping that I won't fall. I'm clinging with everything I've got. My nails are embedded in this thing and I'm, and I'm just, whoo, I take, oh, no, no, better not do that. <laughs> I'm going to fall, you know. So I'm hanging on, with, gripping on with everything I've got to try and hold on to this thing. Well, I would like us to try and consider that from a different perspective this morning. I would like to consider hanging on a little bit like uh, what takes place when you put a picture or a painting on a wall. The weight of the picture or the painting would determine what sort of anchor points would be required to support the item, the type of suspension that would be required, and how that suspension, whether it's string, wire, or chain, would be secured to the frame. All things considered properly, we could expect that picture to be quite happy hanging in pride of place. We've got some pictures hanging up on the wall today, anchored to the wall, which was uh, uh, extremely good. 
It would not struggle with hanging on, knowing that it was securely anchored to an adequate support structure with appropriate fixings. You don't see the painting gripping for dim, grim death. Oh, I hope I don't let go. Oh, this would be terrible if I did. You know? No, it's not. It's sitting there quite content. <laughs> Haven't heard a word from any of them today. They're perfectly content. Earlier this week, I was with a customer in Karori whose large, heavy, antique mirror uh, wasn't content to stay on the wall. It had crashed down onto a glass-topped uh, hall table, console beneath. Fortunately, the mirror was not damaged, unlike the hall table. It was obvious when you had a close look, and I did have a close look because the customer showed me these things, it was obvious that the anchors were very well fixed into the wall. They'd obviously found the studs, and there weren't a series of holes where they had missed when they were testing it. They'd obviously used some sort of meter to find where they were. And this chain suspension that held this, pitch, that this, this mirror could have held a small ocean-going yacht in, at its moorings. It was a pretty strong chain. But what no one had ever considered was the connection of the chain to the frame of the mirror. You know, there's a little bracket there, and it's usually screwed into the back of the mirror. And no one had thought to check that. The little screws, they were only that little, that long, was what's holding this bracket in place. So while everything else was great, the very thing that anchored or made that mirror secure uh, to, the, to the wall was relying on some tiny little screws that over time just pulled out. A mirror is quite a useful an analogy for us to consider this morning. We could use other things. I mean, we could... Talk about paintings. Could talk about photos. They all have frames. They all have a form of suspension and a means of attachment to the wall. So, if we took a painting, for example, an artist, Sarah, for example, may paint a, well, she'd paint a picture, maybe she'd do a portrait of me, she'd paint what she'd see. My portrait may very well, she may have exaggerated some finer points. She could depict me as bald. Might look like my brother Trevor here. Might be with large ears and some fairly prominent teeth. It'd be a total, it'd be totally, you know, be terrible. It'd be totally uncomplimentary. It'd be nothing like me at all. Um, so they, they paint what they can see at that particular point in time. A photo, on the other hand, captures an instant in time. It will be an accurate portrayal or record of the moment. But moments pass, and of course these days, you can remaster or you can digitally remaster photos. In fact, if there's someone in that photo that you don't particularly like or out of favour of the family, you can have them removed. Very simple. Probably easier to remove them off the photo than it is to remove them out of life. You know? A mirror, however reflects exactly what is before it. We could describe it as having or providing a faithful representation of what is before it. Provided it was clean, of course, had no imperfections, and wasn't like the exterior mirror of a car I once had, 
that had, and a little sticker on it, that had warning. Objects may appear further away than they are. Not helpful when you pour into a line of traffic, I have to tell you. Uh, But a mirror is a perfect reflection. It is a faithful representation of what is before it. And we can look in the mirror today. Um, Because it's not designed to sit on the floor gathering dust. It's designed to hang on the wall. We look in the mirror today to check if our tie is, uh, is straight, don't we? Well, if we have a tie, that is. Our hair is tidy, which is not a big issue for me. Uh, our makeup is on properly, which is probably more important for me. Or, and that there's no breakfast products uh, down our front or on our face, which is definitely important for me. You know? uh, so we use a mirror every day. We're, we're, we're hardly aware of it, are we? You know, it's just there. It just hangs on the wall. It doesn't seem to do much. But I tell you what, when something's out of line, it picks it up straight away. So there's three components to faithfulness as we consider it today that I really want to just highlight as we consider how this relationship with a mirror and ourselves goes together. You see, we talked about an anchor, we talked about suspension, and we talked about a frame. And if we think about that in the relation to a mirror and in relationship to our lives and in relationship to faithfulness, then God says to us that he is the anchor for our souls. I mentioned it earlier on that he is the one that holds our lives in his hands. He is our reference point. He is the one that we can rely on totally dependently. Uh, We can always run to him and know that he will always welcome us. In fact, the parable of the the young fella who, um, prodigal son he was called, uh, says the father was always, was waiting for his son to come running back to him. He was after his son to return. But God says he's the the author and perfecter of our faith. He will never abandon us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Now, this is interesting because we're talking about faithfulness today, and we're talking about what faithfulness looks like and how faithfulness is the... um, uh, Sorry, let me just check my notes here. That faithfulness is love hanging on. It's love not giving up. And so we have this picture here then of God never go, leaving, never forsaking us. But there's a scripture in 2 Timothy 2.13 that says that even if we are faithless, or even if we don't have faith, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. He cannot be untrue to who he is. Even if we are faithless, he remains faithful. The second component I want us to look at is one of suspension. And the suspension is is that which keeps us hanging there, keeps us in line, keeps us in place. In many ways, a community of believers does that for us here today. We're part of a community, we're part of a body, we're part of a people of God. And that holds us in place, that enables us to keep on track. It makes us accountable. Isn't that wonderful? You know, I've been part of this community now for, oh, 35 years. 
36 years, something like that, just about eight, 1980, since 1980, 35 years. Been part of this community, and I'm part of this community because I know I need one another. I need you, brothers and sisters, to speak into my life, to represent Jesus, to help me in the difficulties, to stand with me, to, to, to say that you're there, to say that you are the one, you know, you're part of my life. I can't isolate myself from that. That you, you uh, help me to understand what it means to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus, to be somebody who can lay down my life for one another. That's what it means to be part of this community. Also to cheer me on. I need you to pat me on the back sometimes and say, Pete, you're a good brother. You're good to have around. You, you cheer me up sometimes. You know? I need that. You need that, don't you? You need someone to come and pat you on the back and say, hey, come on, it's, it's all right. We can make it together. We're not alone in this. All right? Put our arms around one another and say, come on, we can, we can do this together. We can't do it alone. It's impossible to do it alone. God didn't call us to be lone rangers. He called us to be in community. He called us to commit ourselves to one another, to find ourselves in this body. You know, you don't choose to be in a body. I didn't choose this body. As I said to one of my children, it might be fine looking like Brad Pitt today, but one day you're going to look like Clive James. (laughs) You know? I didn't choose to be in this body and look like this. It just happened. You know? And today, you didn't choose to be in this body. God sovereignly placed you here. He put you in here because he knew you needed this body to make you the person that you need to be. Say amen. amen. Oh, praise God. Someone's awake. That's fantastic. Yeah, no, isn't it true? You know, we've been, we have been grafted into this body. We've been knitted in. Amen. And the, the, the people we are today is the result of the, the impartation of life that one another have brought into our lives. And you may be feeling alone. You may be feeling abandoned, as, as, um, as uh, Linda talked about the other day. You might be feeling inadequate, as um, Aaron spoke about last week. You may be feeling that you have got nothing really to give, that, that there's nothing really that sparks in your life, that you're just, it's just ho-hum. Even this Christian life is ho-hum. And you might be feeling like that today. You might be thinking, well, it's just ordinary. I've tried it. It doesn't work. It seems all right, you know. But I come along because I have to. Oh, gosh. You know, I'm here on a Sunday morning because there's nothing else to do. And the cricket's not till tonight, you know. Um, know, And and you might be thinking that today. And thank goodness it's going to be over soon. Peter better keep an eye on the time. Yeah, look. Oh, no, he's gone. He's got more time, um, you know. And you might be thinking that today, but I want to tell you that God has knitted you into this community because he wants to produce something of the life of God in you. And it can only be done as you're committed and as you have given yourself into it. It does, it does not happen any other way. It can't happen any other way, brothers. It just doesn't work like that. God saw to it that it can't work like that. He saw to it. He made sure it couldn't work like that because he knew that you needed to be suspended. You know, maybe from your ankles, but you needed to be suspended so that he could get hold of you and he could form you into what he wants you to be. If you don't have that, then it's likely that you could end up on the street in Vivian Street on a Friday night and Keith will be there to give you a cup of tea. Praise God. Thank you, Keith. We need that. So we're kept in this suspension by our brothers and sisters who love us. But there's another aspect to it. So we've got this anchor, this anchor that secures us firmly. You know, 
It's no good me hanging that a big heavy something or other on a bit of tissue paper because it won't hold it. But if I hung it onto something that's solid and strong and has got good foundations and is, then I know it's going to stay. That's God, isn't it? He's a firm foundation. I can trust him completely. I can rely on him. I can hang my life on him. And I know it won't fall off. So we've got the anchor. We've got the suspension. But there's a third one. It's a frame. It's a frame that, you know, the picture or the, what's in the frame, the mirror in this particular case, reflects a true, faithful representation of who we are. But the frame is what holds it in place. And the frame, I'd like to think of it as our family. It's where our lives find context and meaning. Someone once said that it's what bears witness to who we are. So it's the family that loves us unconditionally, that tells us we are important, that reminds us that God hasn't finished with us yet, that we're still being made into his likeness and into his image. That it's a process. From the time I gave my life to Christ as a five-year-old, then as a seven-year-old at a beach mission, then as a 10-year-old at a camp, then as a 13-year-old at Easter camp, then as a 14-year-old at Easter camp, then as 15-year-old at an Easter camp, then as a 16-year-old at a youth camp, then as a 17-year-old when I came to Wellington and I got confronted, gosh, I gave my life to Christ so many times. There's a process, a process of realizing that, God, you are able to take that which I've committed and keep it secure. Today, you may be wavering. You may be floundering a little bit because you haven't built that security yet or you haven't allowed that security. I don't want to use the word built. That's the wrong word. You haven't allowed that security to encompass your life, to fill you. So we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. It's the work of God in our lives that produces faithfulness, the ability to hold on, the ability to hang in there. You know, isn't that good? Oh, it's the Holy Spirit that does that in our lives. Of course, we could talk about you know, faithfulness as being faithful to our spouse and faithful in our finances and faithful in our relationships with our employees or employers and faithfulness and all sort of aspects of, of that. And that's true and that's good. But the core, the core of faithfulness is building that, that, that identity and that place with God that keeps us secure. If we don't have that, all the rest of it will never work, will never happen. We've got to deal with the core. So, we, you know, this frame reminds us that God hasn't finished with us yet stands with us in the good times and the bad and celebrates the milestones and the achievements that we go through. In January the 18th, 2015, Kerry and I celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary. Woo, man! Was that good? Was that good? You know, someone once said uh, so was asked about when asked a man about a long and and uh, and successful marriage. He said, "Do you ever consider divorce?" And he said, "Divorce never, murder." <laughs> uh, and I, I think Kerry would have mur- had a desire to murder me on a number of occasions. I'm sure she did. 
I said to her once, darling, I made the right choice. Oh, sorry, that's a bit subtle, wasn't it? <laughs> I'm not too sure about her choices in life, but I made the right choice, you know. <clears throat> if you have no natural family, remember that God puts the solitude in family. Remember that he is the father to the fatherless. So don't say today that you have been abandoned. Don't say today that you have been left alone. Don't say today that you are inadequate because God says something completely different. And part of this transformation, this becoming a disciple of Jesus, is retraining the way our minds work. What we put into our minds, but what we allow our minds to think about. Our minds are either going to work for us or they're going to work against us. So if you have no natural family, I have no natural family left. They're all dying. Uh, remember that God puts the solitude in family. He's a father to the fatherless. So how do we develop this kind of faithfulness? We know it's a fruit. We know it's an outcome of being connected of being joined. The Bible says being joined to the vine. It's a fruit. It's a result of being joined. Well, I've just got three little points I'm going to finish on this morning just to help us understand that a little bit more. So one of the things of developing faithfulness is that realize that temptations and discouragements will come. You're not alone if you face temptations and discouragements. When I was young, my favorite verse was 2 Timothy 2, verse 22. Flee also youthful lust. If you're young, I encourage you to memorize that verse. Now that I'm in my 60s, I've discovered that youthful lust has fleed. <laughs> it's no longer there. Well, that's not quite true. But, uh, <laughs> so I shouldn't have said that, should I? That was terrible. I, so there'll come a time when you don't have to worry about it. But in the, in the meantime, keep pressing on. <laughs> yes, Lord, I will. Amen. There's temptations. There's discouragement. We often get discouraged. It's normal. Jesus was, uh, well, Jesus was tempted in the, in, in, the, um, in the desert. He was also discouraged from going to the cross. You know, can you imagine that? Peter came up to him. Peter, I love Peter. What a, oh, yeah, he's a hopeless case, but I love him. He reminds me of myself so much, you know? That's probably why my parents named me Peter, hey? Eh? Uh, uh, Peter tried to discourage Jesus from going to the cross. Lord, it's too hard, it's too difficult, you don't have to go this way. And Jesus said to turn to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Now, he was very hard on Pete. He told him where to go, he told him to get off, you know? You don't understand what the kingdom of God is all about. We're also, we're also tempted to ignore God, who is always at work in our lives. That's why I started off with, you can't escape God at work. That's such a wonderful thing. God is always at work. He's always hounding us. He's always after us. He's always, because he knows that he's placed something in you, it's called a deposit. 
And a deposit is a promise of more to come. It's a promise that something more is going to happen. And when God pays a deposit, if I went to the store to pay the deposit on some goods, I'd be jolly sure I'm interested in those goods, wouldn't I? You know? If it's a big screen telly, I'd be making sure that, I, that, 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 that that was there for me to come and pick up at some stage. And God has placed a deposit in your life. It's in the deposit of the Holy Spirit. And he's, he's guarding that. He's committed himself to it. He's looking after it. And he wants you to look after it and tend it and care for it as well. So cultivate a heart that acknowledges that it is God who is always at work in you to make you willing and able to obey his own good purpose. Philippians 2.13. Remind yourself daily that God's word declares that you are his child, that he has freely bestowed his blessings and favor on you, and that he promises to fulfill his purposes in your life. The second thing, first was to realize that temptations and discouragements will come. Secondly, develop a regular, positive, and divinely inspired sense of or sense of being. In other words, have a, a great sense of what God has for your life. Develop some habits, some divinely inspired habits. I would suggest you read and memorize passages of Scripture. 2 Timothy 2 verse 22 is a good one to start on. Um, but memorize some Scriptures, you know. If any man be in Christ... He's a new creature. Um, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Memorize these scriptures. Get them into your being. Allow them to speak to you. Uh, allow them to, to, to become like a... Uh, well, I tell you, this is, Psalm 3, I think it is, puts it this way. Just let me find Psalm 3. It says, Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. For some people, it might be to write them on the, the heart tablets. But for most of us here today, it's write them on the tablet of your heart. Love and faithfulness. Remind yourself daily of God's promises and God's plans and God's purposes. I can let you into a little secret. God's plans and purposes may be completely different to what you think they're going to be. I found this out some years ago, that God was out to kill me. <laughs> I thought he was out to give me a wonderful life, because I read it in the Bible. I have come that you may have life, and life in all its fullness. But I didn't realize that for me to get that fullness of life would mean I was going to have to die. Pete Muller was going to have to be deaded and buried. And this morning, you may have to be deaded and buried too so the life of God can have its place at work in your life. Isn't that cool? You know, I haven't got much to give. <laughs> Thanks, Pete. Yeah, yeah. But, but God has everything to give in our lives. Gather with fellow believers Feed your spirit with music 
and life-inspiring messages. Build yourself up on your most holy faith. Jude tells us you can do that by praying in the Holy Ghost. If you don't know what that means, we can have, we can have a talk about that at some stage. All right? It's something that's really important for building muscle on your spiritual heart. Realize that temptations and discouragement will go, will come rather. Develop regular, positive, divinely inspired habits. And thirdly, cultivate perseverance. About nine years ago, there's a great song on the radio. It was sung by Chumba Wumba. And it went like this. I get knocked down, but I, but I get up again. You're never going to keep me down. I get knocked down, but I get up again. You know, I don't want you to conjure that in your mind, but you're never going to keep me down. Unfortunately, some years later, I discovered it was a drinking song. It really disappointed me because I loved that song. It was great. I'd turn it up on the radio. You know, that's right. I'm never, never going to get knocked down. And uh, I never read. I never could hear the words, you know. I just took what I wanted to take. So, but yeah, it was a drinking song. But it did, at least the first part of it, did have a very important message to say. It did have the, the message to say that perseverance, you know, as, as Revelation says, that if we persevere to the end, we will receive a crown of glory. If we persevere, if we stay in there, if we hang on, if we don't let go, if we don't give up, if we remain faithful, even if we're faithless, he remains faithful. So he's always calling us up to that. He's always calling us to walk in his purpose, always calling us to, to give up, to give, up, give over and to hang on. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord and he delights in his way. If he falls... Psalm 37 says, If he falls, he will not be cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Even if you fall, you will not be cast down, because God is there. Underneath are the everlasting arms of God. Picture yourself this morning. You've blown it. You've made a right mess of things. You feel like that you're just, you've just lost it altogether, and you're falling. I used to have a dream when I was a, before I really came to know Jesus, I had a dream, a recurring nightmare. I was in a whirlpool, like a tornado, and I was being sucked into this tornado, and into the top of this tornado, and I was being whirled around, and I, I trained myself, and I was being sucked down into the vortex, and I trained myself. Maybe it was a picture of a central vacuum system, I don't know. It may have well have been, but I had the sense of being pulled down into this vortex, and I used to wake myself up night after night as I was being dragged into this vortex. And when I, I shortly after I came to Wellington and I, and I, had, I had really realized that Jesus had, had this life, this new life that he wanted to give me, I realized, I, 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 sometime later, I realized that I wasn't having those recurring nightmares anymore. They'd gone. But you may be caught in this, you may be falling, you may be sensing that you're falling into a vortex that wants to suck you down and wants to strangle you. But, you know, God promises that underneath are the everlasting arms, that he will catch you. Just picture this, God's hands reached out to get you today. That you can trust him wholeheartedly, that you can actually give your life over to him. The word says his arm is not so... uh, 
short that it cannot save, his ear is not so dull that it cannot hear, that as you cry out to him, Lord, teach me to be faithful. Teach me to hold on. Teach me to hang in there. Teach me to trust you because you are totally and utterly dependent. And as I do that, as I hang on to you, as I secure my hope in you, your faithfulness will well up and develop in my heart enable me to be the person that you want me to be. Let's pray. Father, today we've been called further into your plans and into your purposes. Today, Lord, we recognize that you've got a call on each one of us. Lord, that you have a plan and a purpose for each one of us that you want to fulfill. And we acknowledge that that plan and that purpose as a music team come up to play. We just acknowledge that that purpose and plan may be a little different to what we thought. We thought it was to give us a good life. But today, Father, we acknowledge that your plan and purpose is really to let the life of Jesus reflect out of us. So when people see us, they see not who we are, but they see the life of God at work. They see the love, the joy, the peace, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness of the life of God oozing out of our very being. And we want to be that people this morning, Lord. We volunteer to be that people today. Because we know there's no other way that we can walk. There's no, other, there's no other purpose that could be bigger than to allow the life of God to flow through us. And so, Lord, we put up our hand this morning to say, yes, Lord, I want to be part of that. Yes, Lord, I want to be committed. I want to be part of that body that, that, that is committed to seeing you at work. I want to be part of that family that says, God, hold me accountable. Hold me in there. I want to be a person that has nailed my, my support structure to who you are and your promises today. And I speak to that sense of abandonment and I speak to that sense of inadequacy today because, God, you want to deliver us from that this morning. You want to free us from that today that we may embrace the life of God that you have got for us as we acknowledge, as we worship, as we adore, and as we yield our lives to you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.